0: standing on holy ground and this image of being able to step into this building this sanctuary has been renewed for me in the past couple of weeks and because he made a way when there was no other way nothing we can do for ourselves except to choose to step in and receive him to step into that holy place today. Let your mind be renewed of his love for you, of his mercies that are new every morning, and that whatever happened five minutes ago this morning, yesterday, last week, he gives us another chance constantly to experience his presence. We'll step into that presence this morning.
1: da mm-hmm. You are loved and he will prove it again and again. Thank you for the ability to recognize that.
2: a renewed passion in your life for, for life, a greater power in your life, with a greater purpose in your life. Amen? God bless.
3: Amen. Well, I want to say I was first, I was nervous this morning, and after praise and worship, I'm just excited, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm full, but I'm really excited because I believe and what I'm going to share with you today. I believe it with every fiber of my being. We've been doing a series called intentional and you know, we've said that people don't intentionally plan to fail. They just don't intentionally plan not to. And what I get to share with you this morning about being intentional in is being intentionally brave. Don't you like that word? I love the word brave. And, you know, if you ever want to know what you need to do to be brave, hang around brave people. Or hang around children, because they're very brave. They're not afraid to tell you what's on their mind. They're not afraid to speak whatever the first thing that comes to their mind. And, you know, some of that stuff, they have to learn to channel and to filter um, We really had to pray Anna through a lot of that. And we had to pray her through a lot of um, just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. But my kids have been brave in very different ways. And bravery, there's different kinds of bravery. Um, Anna, you know, was the one who was never afraid to speak her mind, but now she's at a place to where... That kind of bravery has been channeled to where she's not afraid to say what she likes and what she doesn't like. And it's been healthy and good for her. She's also never been afraid to try something new, to jump in there. And she's never one time thought she would fail at something. And that's the key to bravery, never letting your mind go to where you may fail. Um, Jet is the, the, the youngest and completely fearless And you would think the older he would get, the more cautious he would get. That's not true. The older he gets, the more, I mean, we're always saying, Jet, be careful. Jet, watch that. Jet, jet, jet. And John, he has evolved into someone who will try new things. Last year, he said, I'm going to, I think I'm going to play soccer. He's, you know, ninth grade. I'm like, you don't play soccer. He's like, but I think I want to do that. So he's made steps to be brave. But when he was younger, and this is still so much of who he is today, When he was younger, I remember, he was in third grade. And he really engaged a kind of bravery that Chris wasn't used to. And so he was in third grade, and he came home and said, Mom, Dad, there's this boy at school, and he's bullying me and Liam. He's picking on us. Well, Chris just said, I tell you what, next time the boy picks on you and is mean to you, You have my permission to rear back and knock the daylights out of him. And I was like, yeah, do that. And John just starts crying. And he's just said, and it wasn't this fear that he he was scared of him. He just started crying because that's not who he was. And he said, I don't want that to be on my conscience. I, you've got to let me handle this the way that's me. And that was a, a, a different kind of bravery and it's a bravery. You know, I'm going to share the story of David today. And if I have your permission, I would love to be able to take my time with it. Cause I don't want to, to leave something out of this story that you need to hear. And as I tell the story, I'm going to unpack three kinds of bravery that David walked in. That if you will Walk in these three things, it will change your life. And I'm gonna do something before I start preaching this message that I have never done before and I don't even think I've ever heard dad do it and it makes kind of sound strange to you but I wanna do this and I, John Henry is my son who is my child who is, has a heart of David. And so if I may, I wanna to dedicate today's message To my heart of David, to John Henry. Anna, yours is coming, sister. I knew I was going to get that look from you. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You've got a great heart too. But today, is remember, we don't always do what's fair. We do what's right for the time. And today, I'm going to dedicate this to John Henry and to all of you, Anna. Um, But these are three types of bravery that will change your life. Most of the time we think that it was David killing Goliath that made him brave. He was a teenager. Teenagers aren't scared of anything. All right, so I'm going to set the story and then we're going to unpack it. Ready? All right, so Israel wanted a king. Even against the better judgment of the judges, Samuel, who was um, heard from God for Israel, even said, I don't really think you want a king." But everybody was like, everybody else has a king. Let's give me a king. So God appoints um, Saul as king. Everything started out fine. Everybody likes Saul. Saul's doing a good job. Saul's seeking the heart of the Lord. And then Saul stops seeking the heart of the Lord. And things kind of spiral downhill from there for Saul. So um, they start wondering who's going to be the heir to Saul. And so God tells Samuel I want you to go to this farm and there's going to be a man named Jesse there. And Jesse's going to have several sons, but you're going to find the youngest. You're going to find the one who's in the field, tending the sheep. This guy, we talk all the time. We commune all the time. And I want you to anoint him with oil, signifying that he is the heir to Saul's throne. He will be the next king. And so from a young age, David had a visual of his destiny. From a young age... This is important. He had framed his destiny. And if you're to young people in this room, if God's given you a visual for your destiny, don't let anyone tell you that you can't achieve it, that it's not for you. So in the meantime, Saul, who I've already you know, told you, really stop doing things God's way, kind of becomes mad. Like he's very disturbed and some of his servants suggest, um, "There's this. why don't we play, get somebody to play some music for you? I don't make you feel better. Isn't it just kind of the normal thing? I think we all kind of do it sometimes when, when we're not addressing the real issues of our heart, we'll try to find something to, to put a Band-Aid on it and we'll search out these temporal things that will soothe us for a moment, but it's not lasting. That's kind of what Saul's servants are doing. And so, Um, They say, you know what? In 1 Samuel, it says, one of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, the shepherd. Now, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So, David went to Saul and began serving him. And Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. So, he had framed his destiny... And because he'd already fixed his eyes on it, now he's in an opportunity, positioned himself to be in the courts with Saul and to serve Saul. And this is where we get to the part of the story that we all know, that we learned in in Bible school about Goliath. And so this is the part where Goliath and the Philistines are really just taunting Israel. And Goliath, who was a Philistine, was this big guy Keeps wants somebody to fight him. And nobody wants to fight him. Everyone's scared. Saul's the one who has all the armor, but he is afraid. And so here's little David, and he says, I've killed lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I will go fight him. I'm not scared of him. And he really wasn't afraid because don't you think fighting a lion would be a little more um, terrifying than fighting a giant? Probably so. So everything in David's life has led him up to this point to Goliath. Now, I want you to think about this. So, David in the fields is a young shepherd boy. He would have to kill off the lions and the bears who would try to come harm his sheep. And you know that was a struggle. You know that must have been difficult. But every difficulty in your life is always preparing you for the real fight, for something greater. Everything sets you up for what's to come. So, Saul says, all right, David, you want to fight Goliath. That's fine. So Saul takes his armor and he puts it on David. Saul takes his sword and he hands it to David. Well, David puts his armor on. He has Saul's sword and he says, this does not feel right this doesn't feel like me. And this is the first kind of the first lesson that we really see in David because what he said is, I'm going to go as myself. So he picks up a sling and five smooth stones and he goes out and you know the story. He kills Goliath and he becomes Israel's hero. But he said, I've got to go as me. Whenever God's given you something to do, you've got to do it as you. I can't do. My dad, when he preaches, he literally has this page of Scrabble that he gets up there, you watch him. And I don't even know how he follows it. Sometimes he preaches with no notes. And I wanted to be able to do that. It is not me. I get up here, if you were to see the notes up here, you'd be like, Dusty, how long is this sermon gonna be? But I cannot fight and do what God's called me to do as dad you cannot fight and do the things that God's called you to do as anybody but you as anybody but you so David confronts Goliath says he runs at him and slays him and now he is Israel's hero everybody loves David Everybody, the whole nation shouts his praises. And so David even becomes one of Saul's favorite people. He really gets in with a family. He becomes good friends with Jonathan. Things are going well. But the more popular David gets, the more jealous Saul gets. And now he's afraid that David may take over the throne. And when he gets afraid that David's going to may take over the throne, he tells Jonathan, I'm going to kill David. David. Well, Jonathan, kind of liking David, they're buddies now, says, dude, pretty sure dad's going to kill you. You may want to get out of here. And here is what happens that you're about to see is the first lesson in bravery that if we, if we can own this, it's going to change your life. So David leaves. Now, remember, he's really popular. Everybody loves him. And he doesn't go. He could have rallied Israel at that time and overthrown Saul had he wanted to. But that's not the way God works. And instead, he leaves and he doesn't take anybody with him. He didn't go to Israel and say, let me tell you what Saul's doing. He didn't go to his buddies and say, let me tell you, he didn't try to turn. That's what we call gossip. When somebody does something to offend you and to hurt you and we go to people and say, Let me tell you what Brandon did to me. Let me tell you what so-and-so did to me. Instead, he picks up and he leaves and he doesn't take anyone with him. And if you're taking notes, the first kind of brave David was, he was brave in humility. He was brave in humility. Later, Jonathan goes to his dad and he says, Dad, don't you remember that David was the one who saved your throne and you're threatening to kill him? Dad, come on, he saved your throne. So Saul's convicted. He brings David back, puts him back in charge of the army. And David could have easily said, I'm not going to help him after what you did to me. I'm not going to try to help you. But he Takes back in charge of Saul's army and continues to serve Saul. That is brave humility. When someone hurts you and someone offends you, I'm talking about, he tried to, wanted to kill him. Most people aren't trying to kill us. They're just hurting our feelings. They're just offending us. And we can get into this mindset to say that, well, I'm not going to do, see what they did to me? I'm not going to serve them. I'm not going to do anything for them. But David was brave and humility. It's hard enough for us to get past not stirring a pot when someone offends us, that not only David does he keep his mouth shut about it, but he serves the man who would want to do it. I remember growing up, Even into my adulthood, I still hear this. And someone will do something that offends me or hurts me. And it's really hard to be quiet because I really want to defend myself. And I would just say, dad, I just at least let me defend myself. And dad would always respond just like this. Jesus went to the cross like a lamb led to slaughter and he opened not his mouth. And I would say, dad, or one time I said, dad, I'm not Jesus. And he said, you should want to be. And so my whole life was filled with trying to learn this kind of humility. And why why do it this way? It's hard. Why do it this way? Because it works. It's redemptive and it's peaceful. Romans 12 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay. He's saying, I will take care of you. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I used to read that a long time ago and thought, yeah, I'm going to put some burning coals on your head when I kill you with this kindness. But do you know what this really means? Back in the day, people would carry coals of fire on their head to take it to warm them. So what you're doing is you're not killing them with kindness. You are warming them with kindness. You never know what your kindness is going to do to the one who has hurt or offended you. You never know what your kindness is going to do for the destiny planned ahead. You are never going to know what your kindness is going to do for you, what it's going to do for that person, And what it's going to do for your destiny ahead, for God's blessings to be in your life. And let me tell you, every time I have chosen this kind of path, I have seen the blessings of God over. And every time I've chosen the other kind of way, well, let me tell you how I feel. It never went the way I thought it was going to go. And then it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we have David's back to leading Saul's army. And this time, everything is good. Saul's saying, David's in a position that Saul's happy with. We need to get this scene. Saul gets paranoid again, all right? So Saul's paranoid. David's playing the harp for Saul. Just sitting there playing the music. Saul picks up a spear, throws it at him. It brushes by him, hits the wall. And you know what Saul does? Walks away. Walks away. There's two lessons in this story. Number one, he could have easily, he's a warrior. We've already said he's a brave warrior. He's killed lions. He's killed bears. He just killed a giant. He could have easily picked up that spear and returned it. That's impressive to not return a spear. But what's most impressive is that he walked away as though nothing Even happened. The next point here, if you're taking notes, in being brave in humility, is don't take anything personally. Just walk away and say, what is that to me? Let me tell you, you will save yourself a world of grief if you choose not to take anything personally. And I got a big revelation for you. Ready? How do you do it? You want to know how you do it? You just don't. You just don't. You stop making things your business that is not your business. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Nothing external to you has any power over you. Nothing external outside of you has any power over you unless you give it power. So back to our story. So David flees. He didn't return a spear. He acted like nothing happened, but he still... He still has to process this information, okay? So David goes to Samuel. Now remember who Samuel is. Samuel is his mentor. He's the one who's ordained and anointed David. And it says in 1 Samuel, So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel and told him all that Samuel has done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naath. Now Samuel's David's life coach. So this is the first time that you'll see David talking about what Saul's done to him. This is the first time he doesn't alert Israel. He doesn't tell his buddies. He goes to someone who's going to give him wise counsel. And that is the first time you see him talking about it. In the past, we've called this venting up. Anybody ever heard us say that? I've decided to quit saying that. I'm not going to call it venting up anymore because venting up has a negative connotation behind it. Instead, whenever you are dealing to to deal with something in your life, a hurt or an offense or a hard path, seek wise counsel and you know it's going to be redemptive. So David positions himself with someone who is going to strengthen him. He spends time with Samuel, that's most likely where he learned the mind of the Lord, and And David simply, I mean, Samuel does this. He reminds David of who he is, and he sets his eyes back on his future. He reminds reminds David, a lot of people in the story. He reminds David who he is, and then he reminds him, David, you are the future king. Now I want you to think from that posture. Don't think about where you are right now think from that posture, act from that. If you can remember who you are and keep your eyes fixed on what you want in your life instead of what you don't want and think and act from that, it is easier to drop offenses. Walk with the wise, become wise. So Saul is still seeking to kill David. And Saul continues to send men To capture David. Now remember David's with Samuel. So Saul is sending all these people to to Samuel's place. And every time Saul's men get there, um, Samuel's um, praying in the spirit. And then Saul's men start praying in the spirit. Saul sends more men. So more men go to try to capture David. And then they hear Samuel praying in the spirit. Then they start praying in the spirit. And Saul's like, I'm going to go myself. Saul goes and guess what? The exact same thing happened. You see, every time that David purposed to do things God's way, it intensified God's protection over him. It intensified that protection. And you would think, after all this has happened, that David's going to know and to trust. And I'm not really sure what happened with David here, but this is actually where David gets weak. Everyone, even Saul, has, is, is, is slain in the Spirit But David gets weak and decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And all I can think when I I read this story and I thought, I feel like David probably got tired of fighting, even though he was winning. He probably got tired of the journey and the things he had to do to get to the vision and to the destiny that God had set for him. And he just probably thought, you know what? The sooner I can overcome this, the sooner I can do this, the better. I will be in the position of um, that's been promised. But... Hurry up. We've often heard, Ralph always says this to me, hurry up is not a fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you, your shortcuts are not shortcuts. Trying to do something, take things and matters into your own hands and do things um, quickly will only take you a little bit longer around the bend to get to where you're going to be. So don't despise The journey. And so things began to spiral for David. And instead of seeking wisdom from Samuel, now he's seeking wisdom from Jonathan. Jonathan's a good friend, but Jonathan's not the wise counsel that he's going to get. And he even goes to Jonathan. And now he's talking about him. He's like, what is wrong with your dad? Why is he trying to kill me? Things just really, really get out of control. And that is the constant battle of our flesh and our ego. Knowing the right thing to do, but wanting to do what we feel... Counting on our own understanding of that, and this is what happens when we stop surrounding ourselves with people and environments that feed our spirit well, and that is what David did. The other day, we are it's like the fourth or fifth day of school, and we're in the car and we're leaving the school, and and John Henry's just being a little cynical. Now, John Henry meets with Joey. They haven't met in a long time, right? And spent a few months, and he just being—he just kind of a little attitude, and Anna just says, "Sounds like somebody needs some mojo." And so, I was like, "I didn't say it, but just saying." And that's where David was. David needed some mojo. So everything spirals from there. It spirals so much. This is what David does. This is not even like him. He is so much, not even himself, because he's decided to not to follow wise counsel, to take the matters in his own hands. And so it says in 1 Samuel 21, and David went to the town of Naam to see Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him and said, Why are you alone? And why is no one with you? And David flat out lies, The king has sent me here on a private matter. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now what's there to eat? Give me loaves of bread or anything else you have it's like who is this guy? This is not even the guy that we just read in the first several chapters of First Samuel. And then he asked for a sword. And Ahimelech tells him, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. He's like, yeah, give me that one. That'll work. So now he's not even himself. Now he's trying to to try on this label and that label. Because you see, when you're not operating in the mind of Christ, when you're not surrounding yourself with the people who are going to encourage you, when you're not purposing to feed your spirit, then what happens is you don't even know who you are anymore. You lose sight, you have no clarity of who you are, and now you're operating as someone else, and nothing good's gonna come from it. You see, as long as David had the mind of Christ, and we call that sometimes in positive thinking, active in your higher self, he was able to overcome. As long as he was operating in his own flesh, and he failed to trust God, then he struggled, and he was being overcome. You see, his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. But when we commune with him long enough, you know what happens? His ways become our ways. And his thoughts become, or our thoughts become his thoughts. That sounds a little better. Um, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know this. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Arthur Pink, wrote this about our understanding. He says, To lean on our own understanding is to court certain disaster. It might be in a relationship. It might be in a job. Whatever it is. But see, higher self-thinking for David right here would have looked like this. He would have said in the same God who supplies, who takes care of me will supply all of my needs. When we stop communing with light, And for David, that was Samuel. That was songs of thanksgiving. When we stop positioning ourselves around people who encourage and strengthen us, when we stop doing the things that we know to do for being intentional, then the world becomes a very dark place and we can't see truth and our judgment becomes clouded and wisdom is far from us. But when we are surrounding ourselves with light, then we are illuminated by that truth. Anna was sharing with me Um, earlier this week that she's been meditating on the Beatitudes. And she goes, Mom, I can't get away from blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I said, Why can't you get away from that? She goes, Because I feel like when blessed are the pure in heart, when we feed ourselves all the things of God then we're filling ourselves with with pure things and we can see clearly. What does it mean to see God? It means you see clearly and you see him in everything that you do. So every time that David was in communion with God, he had a clear vision of his future, of that thing he was going after. And every time he didn't, things started to spiral. Things really, really spiraled for David and he ends up fleeing to a cave. And this is probably the most tormented time of David's life. It's where he wrote a lot of the Psalms that we read that sound really um, depressing and heart-wrenching. And, but he gets to the cave and he ends up humiliated and he's driven away. But this is where we see his repentance. See, sometimes in those and those really dark places, those places that you feel alone, but you're not alone, those are the thing, that's, the, that's the place where we are able to position ourselves in a place to really hear God. So this is where, if you're taking notes, the second kind of brave David showed was brave in repentance. David was brave in repentance. He writes Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. You see, David's appeal to God's not out of fear. And that's what Jason was saying this morning and Shane was saying this morning. But he's appealing to the character of God. He already knows God is a God filled with unfailing love and compassion. He says, Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me for my sin. He's asking for renewal. This is what Kaino says. He says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And then he says, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Notice he doesn't say, give me back your Holy Spirit. Give me back your presence because no matter where David was, no matter where you ever are in life, no matter what decisions you have made, you are never away and far from his presence. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for the shedding of blood, O God who saves, and I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. And then he says this, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Get me back to speaking words of thanksgiving, words of gratitude, because that is what is going to maintain and sustain me. Let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is simply turning from that one thing that's not serving you to the thing that will. It is turning from that thing. It's this decision to stop doing one thing and to start doing another. Andy Stanley, I saw an Instagram story he posted this week, and he said this, we don't need a situation to be fixed, We need a direction to be changed. Direction determines destination. That's repentance changing direction. I got lots of Anna stories this week. So y'all know Anna broke, not broke. She had surgery on her foot. She had a bone removed, an extra bone. We said, that's why we know now why you're so extra, because you had an extra bone. So she had this... um, Bone removed, and she is non-weight bearing for, I think six weeks. You take for you don't know what it's like to be not weight bearing until you're around somebody who can't put no weight on their foot. And you know, we have it has been I feel like Chick Fil A has been my pleasure to serve her, and to do all these things for her. So the other morning. She's like, Mom, can you run downstairs and get my sweatshirt? Mom, can you run downstairs and get this? And I finally said, you are going to have to get your act together. Organize your thoughts because this is not efficient. Going back down for this and back down for that. So anyway, you can tell I'm just kind of getting over it. So that night she comes home. I think this is Wednesday. And they have to pack because they're going to spend the night with Mom and Dad Thursday night. she like, Mom, will you come downstairs and help me pack? I said, yeah. So if I go down there, now granted, if I had to pick up one more of Anna's things. So I go down there and you know, I'm kind of stirring this frustration, and she's just frustrated, period. And she doesn't like any of her clothes she has. I don't even like my bedding. I don't like this, I don't like that, and everything's just crap, blah, 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 blah. And I just said, you know what? You can finish packing, I'm going to bed. And so, and she's like, Good night, my like, good night. She's love you, I love you. So I go upstairs and I go to bed. Chris is there just snoring away because he ain't got nothing to do. (laughs) And and so there I am. I'm getting in bed, and I'm just scrolling on Facebook. It's my downtime. You know, ain't nobody trying to talk to me. Just everybody leave me alone. If that girl didn't text me, Mom, can you come to my room? I swear swear Chris is snoring, and I wake him up, and I need you to go downstairs. That boy wakes up from his slumber. He starts heading down, and I texted her, and I said, Dad's on his way. I don't want Dad. I said, never mind, Chris. Come on back. <laughs> Chris comes back. He, he don't even know his name. He didn't even know what's going on. So he gets back in bed. So I go into her room, and, and I walk, and she's just staring at me. And I go sit in the bed with her, and she looks at me, and she said, I just can't go to sleep, but that's not good. Dagger in my heart. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And so, but what that showed me was that she was brave in repentance. And that's what she, in that night, in that moment, decided this relationship tonight is not what I want it to be. So I'm going to change the direction of it. I want you to hear me. It is that simple. And your relationships. We make it really, really hard because we allow pride and ego to determine if the redirection of that relationship is gonna change. Now, Ann and I would, of course, have been all right by that morning because my mercy is on you. Every morning, just like the Lord's, hers are too. But you know what? She decided you don't have to you don't have to wait. It is so easy. For us to, even in our marriage, to not be willing to say, let's change the direction. In one moment, change, be brave in your repentance because not only God's going to be good with you, God's just like we were saying this morning, God's going to chase after you no matter what, but your relationships are counting on that kind of repentance, so it would have been easier for God to have just to, to destroyed Saul and David become king. But God is never in a hurry. Let me tell you, we will continue to repeat the same things over and over and over again until we get it right. And it's not because that God is ugly to us or he just wants us to suffer, but because he loves us so much He wants to get us to where he wants to get us more than we want to get us to where he wants to get us. And that's what we were saying this morning. Jason's saying, you can't lose. God will continue to mold you, to shape you, to turn you until he gets to where he needs to get. So David gets his mojo back. He goes, meets with Big Joe, gets his mojo back. He returns to Judea, and we're about to come with our last kind of brave. He returns to Judea. This time he has his group of men. These men had connected with David on his journey. They were a bunch of warriors, kind of, you know, scoundrels, whatever, down and outers. And he returns, and listen, he finds himself in a position to defend Israel again. You see, he's not even king, but he is acting from being king and puts himself in a position to defend Israel. Israel. And so in 1 Samuel 23, it says, One day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah, a town in Israel, stealing grain from the threshing floors. And David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. See, now he's back to acknowledging God. Do I do this? But David's men said, now listen, his men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again. He didn't, this is what he didn't do. He didn't start Googling, is this going to work or not? He didn't start, I do that before you do, anybody else Google? Like, um, okay, nobody else does that. All right. Um, anyway, so he doesn't start Um doing anything else, he goes back and he says, God, you sure this is what you want me to do? And he says, go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. You see, not only were David's men afraid of the Philistines, they were also afraid Saul's army is gonna come. They were about to be potentially attacked on both sides. And so this is the first thing. if you David was brave in faith. He did not give energy. This is what I want you to see for your life. Whatever God has set before you to do, He did not give energy to the negativity of his men or to the doubt. He did not even try to reason with his men. He didn't even call them cowards. He didn't tell them anything. He gave no energy to negative words or thoughts. He just said, God, is this the right thing to do? And when God assured him that it was, even God tells you to do something. When spirit is speaking to you to do something, you got to be careful who you tell it to because people will burst your bubble. My grandfather used to always say to me, and I, 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 I kind of thought it was a little harsh when he would say it when I was young, but now I understand what he was saying. My grandfather would say, be careful who you tell your dreams to because they'll try to ruin them. And what he's trying to say is be careful that you don't allow negativity and doubt to come into your life and to keep you from moving into what your guts telling you to do. You have the spirit within you, the gut within you, and as soon as you hear the spirit speak, if you need confirmation, then either you go to someone with wise counsel who's going to encourage you or you ask God himself within you, are you sure God? And God will confirm that within you. That is for every opportunity, is for the big stuff and the little stuff. I was in the nail salon a couple of weeks ago and I looked at this girl who was getting a pedicure, and you know, spirit spoke to me, pay for her, her services. I sat there and instead of talking to God, are you sure God that's you? You know what I did? I just reasoned why that's silly, I'm not gonna do it and I didn't do it. And let me tell you, once that opportunity's gone, it's gone. I will never have that opportunity to go back and make that right. Can I make some other things right? And can I continue to listen to the spirit? See, I didn't even need your negativity and doubt. I didn't need Chris telling me, girl, are you already paying for yours. What are you paying for somebody else to? I, it was that. It was the doubt within myself. Because remember, we're always battling flesh and spirit. But typically that first thing that you hear is spirit. That first thing, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. I um, ask my kids a lot. I used to. God convicted me of this. Are you sure? All the time, John Henry and Anna and Jet will all tell you this is a thing that I used to do. You don't even notice. I haven't stopped doing it, but I quit doing it. And I would ask them, like, for example, I would ask um, Jet, um, we were cleaning out, like, sis toys. This is where this kind of God spoke to me in it, and I he, I said, "Do you want to keep this one, or get rid of this one?" He's like, "I want to get rid of it." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes. I don't like it when you ask me, "Am I sure?" Stop asking me, "Are sure." And so later, I thought I was talking to, I think I was talking to Anna and Alicia about it. I'm like, I said, "Do." you Do y'all not like it when I say, are you sure? Like, oh my gosh, mom, we hate it when you say, are you sure? And I went to my bathroom and I looked in the mirror and as plainly as I'm talking to you, I heard God say to me, stop asking my kids, are you sure? Because you are feeding doubt and you are feeding fear that they are incapable of making decisions when they have already, I have already told them what to do. I have already told them stop putting fear and doubt. And he said, in my children, when I've already told him what to do. You see, God has entrusted me to raise them in the way that I'm supposed to wa- ra- raise, them. raise them. But you know what? Every once in a while, every one, I can't even talk. Once in a while, God steps in and says, whoa, but they're mine and you get to have them for a little bit but they're mine. Stop planting fear. You see, so David and his men fought because David never gave energy to what if they conquer us? He heard God and his eyes was was always fixed on victory. Never one time did David say, man, what if Saul's army comes up? Man, what if this happens? It was always fixed on when. When Chris was a teenager, he was 18 years old, and he started college, and he had already been flying airplanes. This is an 18-year-old. And he said, I think I want to buy and sell some Barons, these little piston, right, piston twin, twin airplanes. And 18 years old, I think I want to do this. And his dad, kudos to his dad, who had enough um, insight, not to say, are you sure? But was actually fortunate enough to be able to do his relationship at a bank, get a credit line for Chris. And Chris, Chris, at 18, is buying and selling these airplanes. He's in college at at Auburn. And never one time did Chris think, I'm going to lose money on this. He always had victory in sight. And he started doing so well with it, he says that Auburn asked him to leave. (laughs) Don't think... (laughs) I don't think it actually happened like that, but he's like, man, I'm doing so well. Auburn's like, we can't, we can't help you. So, I mean, sort of, right? Um, so while fleeing from Saul, he knew he'd won David king. He'd already framed that in his destiny. If you're taking notes, you have to see the unseen. And think and act from it. Because let me tell you, it's already there. See the unseen and think and act from it. And whatever that unseen thing is, if you want a better marriage, you can't say as soon as he starts doing this, then I'm going to do this you have to see the unseen and act as though your marriage is already thriving. And whatever relationship it is, and whatever career you're going after, and whatever that thing is you're chasing after, you fix your eyes on the unseen because it's there, and then you think and you act from it. Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things not seen. You got to see clearly. You got to see the victory and you got to act out from what you see. That is brave faith. Kitty, if you would be coming. And if you're being baptized, if you want to go ahead and get ready, don't lose heart and give up because you don't see what you want to see when you want to see it. Let me tell you, even at this point, David got to a point to where he started losing heart again. After all this, but it, don't we all? I mean, how many times do we go through our own, our own journey kind of looks like this? And we're doing well and we're seeing clearly and we're seeing the things that we need to see. And then sometimes we have, it's like the ebb and flow of life. You have these hard, these hard moments where you start, you, you stop trusting in the one who says, I've got this and you start relying on yourself. And David has another moment. And David goes, his, his, his men need provisions. David goes to a, a man named Nabal. Nabal was not a good guy at all. And he's telling Nabal, you know, man, I have, I've saved your land. I've done a lot for you. Can you do, send provisions for me and my men? And Nabal's like, who's this guy? I'm not doing anything for you. And then here you see David, a kind of spiraling in and he said David just been saying and he says all the good I did to help this fellow we protected his fox in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen but he's repaying me evil for good he even says may God strike me if not one of men in your household is going to be killed but in the meantime Abigail who would eventually become David's wife comes to him And he says, when the Lord, and I want you to read, listen to this. When the Lord has done all he has promised, when the Lord has done, it was not if God's going to do. When the Lord has done all that he has promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this blemish be On your record. In other words, don't go out like this, David. Don't let this be part of your story because you see, Abigail saw David's future and she fixed his mind back to it. Don't forget who you are. You see, Abigail was prompting David to look down the road and see his future. Now I want you to see this. That thing that God has called you to is always bigger than you. It was the normal thought of this time. To repay evil for evil was the culture. That was normal. What David did was a Jesus thing. It was a new thing. And not only did David look down the road and see his future coronation as king, Just maybe. David looked down the road and said, I am planting a seed into the earth. And this seed one day is going to be God made flesh because the seed of David was Jesus Christ himself who would repay evil for good for all mankind. And that seed was planted with David. You don't know. You don't know that what you're going after and keeping your eyes fixed on, you don't know that that marriage that you are not... To committed and tied yourself to to save, that it's not gonna just be for you. But if you can look down to the portals of time and see it's for your children, it is for your grandchildren, that it matters to tie yourself to that thing and don't untie it. Don't let anything untie you from the vision that God's given you. Don't let anything separate you from that thing. It is worth it. And if you got to ask yourself, what's at stake? Ask yourself, what's at stake? And may God surround you with people, with Samuels, with Joey's, with Wills, with Jennys, with people who will get in there and remind you who you are and what you're doing it for. But don't lose heart. I had a moment, and I know I'm a little long, and I promise you I'm closing. I had a moment a few weeks ago, and I actually said, I am tired. I've had conversations that I didn't want to have, shouldn't have had. Things addressed in ministry, sometimes you address hard things, and sometimes you give way too much energy to it that you don't have to give. And I even thought, I mean, it's not like I need your paycheck because I don't get one. (laughs) But I thought, I don't have to do this. I don't have to. And I even said to Chris, I said, how does dad preach every single week? And Chris just said, because he's done it a long time. Because he's done it a long time time and you know what I heard in that a lot through this series you've heard that to be intentional with certain things is hard let me tell you about the word hard I mean I'm going to bring you a little bit of relief because when you hear the word hard it can have a negative connotation behind it and you think I can't do hard every day let me tell you what hard is it's not that that thing gets easier it's that you get stronger That thing doesn't change, but you do. You do. And so, for my life, I know God's called me to do this. I had to look down the portals of time and I had to tie myself again to the vision that God gave me when I was a teenager. And who said, Dusty, I'm calling you at an early age, just like I called David, and I'm calling you, and I retied myself to it. Because it's not about me, it's not just for me, but I got three children counting on me to do the things that God's called me to do. I've got a husband, I've got you counting on me, I'm counting on you to do the things that God's called you to do. I'm counting on you to tie yourself to that thing. Tie yourself to that thing and don't let anything separate you from it. And I'm gonna end with this closing scripture. And Paul said... That I forget. I'm gonna quote this by myself, and that's okay. Am I gonna do it by myself? All right. He said, forgetting those things. I'm just gonna get to the, the crux of it. Forgetting those things. Daily I press toward the prize, towards that vision towards that thing. I forgetting the past, forgetting all those things that didn't work for me, forgetting all those things where I may have failed because God certainly has forgotten them. Forgetting and I press towards the mark of the prize. Daily, daily press. The scripture says, "Do not grow weary in well doing." I'm here to tell you he says, "Don't even grow weary. We don't even have to get weary." We don't even have to get weary. You don't even have to get weary. It says don't. It didn't say don't grow weary and well doing for in due time you will reap reward. That's what it says. But it didn't say if you grow weary, don't quit. It says don't even get. We don't even have to get weary. Because we're getting stronger doing that thing over and over. Amen. We're going to have a baptism. And as they're getting ready to be baptized, and then the band's going to come and play one, we're going to sing Brave again. What you doing, Dad?
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) Okay. Um, While we're doing that, they're getting ready, I'm going to go ahead and pray and bless the offering. Thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you for continuing to fight the good fight. Let's bless the offering. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you said that if we bring all the tithes into your storehouse, that there would would not be room enough to fill it, that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for these gifts. We thank you that it's an investment into good stuff. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Normally does this when we have a baptism uh, service, and so next week we've got two people going to be baptized. And I love water baptism. I remember my daddy saying years ago, Jesus walked 40 miles to be baptized, and we ought to be able to just go to wherever and get baptized. So it's a it, it shows that we follow Christ and we believe in who He is, what He's done for us. And so I'm excited to introduce you to a lady named Fran who moved here from Maryland and told me this morning, actually, that you want to be baptized. And so that just thrilled me. And so, thank you for being here. And uh, Fran, what did I say? You're from Maryland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whatever. So, Fran, what makes you want to be
4: baptized? I wrapped I came here last week. I just moved down here from Maryland. But there's something about about being here that I felt this pull and I would be
2: I love what Brand said that I just felt this school and that's what happened.